moving forward with God's help. Now, last week in Re'eh, if you'll recall, Moses told the Israelites that God had set up a blessing and a curse before them. The blessing when they obeyed his commandments and the curse when they didn't. This week, Shoftim begins with concepts of this concept of judges and righteous judgment and justice. As Aaron read earlier from Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 18, Shoftim veshotrim titen lecha bechol shearecha asher Adonai olohecha noten lecha lishvatecha veshafetu et haim mishpat tzedek. Shoftim, judges, judges and officers, you are to appoint within all your gates that Adonai, your God, is giving you according to your tribes. If you recall, Moses' father-in-law kind of brought that up to him and said, you know, you're taking on too much. You should appoint someone to lighten the load for you and be the judges of the smaller things. And this is a repetition of that particular concept. It goes, the verse goes on to say, according to your tribes, and they are to shafat, to judge the people with tzedek. That's not just justice, that's just not any kind of judgment, but it's righteous judgment, righteous justice. The first word of our portion is shoftim, and it comes from the word shafat, which means to judge or to govern. Now, you know, we see in our country at least, it's a lot of times that judges judge and govern, but not righteously necessarily. We're talking about righteous judgment. We're talking about going according to God's laws. Again, we're bouncing off the thought that Moses presented last week that said, blessing and curse. It was based on God's word, God's commandments. And that's what the judges had for a guideline. Kind of like, well, I would say kind of like our Constitution, how, because, but, but the problem is our Constitution is being twisted and turned every chance they get. But as we talk about God's word, we're reminded that God never changed. God didn't twist and turn. He made it, he made it clear what his commands were. There's no room for anyone to go in there and interpret for themselves or they're in violation of his commandments. Now, you, if you recall in the Hebrew, whenever you see a word repeated, then there's something you should pay close attention to. It's very important. And that's the case in verse 20, because there's an emphasis on this theme of justice. Tzedek, tzedek, tirdof. Justice, justice, you must pursue. It's not about just casually thinking about a case, thinking about the commands, thinking about violations. 
We're supposed to pursue justice. Pursue Zedek. So that you may live and possess the land that Adonai your God is giving you. Justice is the foundation of Torah. God requires his people to be characterized by righteousness, integrity, and charity. Proverbs 29.2 says, When the tzedakim, the righteous, thrive, people rejoice. When the wicked rule, people groan. Now, how true is that in our society even? <laughs> Unfortunately, we end up groaning more than rejoicing. But it's a direct relationship to that righteous judge, justice, that righteous judgment. See, without justice... There's no appreciation for the right of everyone to be treated with fairness, respect, and kindness. Because there's the balance, the scales of balance, the scales of justice. They're supposed to be equal, not tipping to one side or the other. The psalmist in uh, Psalm 58, verse 11 says, Then men will say, there really is a reward for the tzaddik, for the righteous. There really is a God who shafat on earth, who judges on earth. In a little more than three weeks, we'll be at Rosh Hashanah. Traditionally, this is a time during the month of Elul for introspection, for reflection, for self-examination. A time for looking, not a time for looking around ourselves, but at ourselves. But it's human nature not to want to do that. Human nature doesn't want to examine ourselves and see what's wrong, because then that means something's wrong, and we don't want to admit to that. And it's not that we don't think it's important. It's because it is important. But we'd rather focus on everyone else and their faults, their failings, their shortcomings. So today we're going to look at humility. See, humility, based on what I just finished saying, it is sometimes thought of as how we see ourselves. Do we look at ourselves as being important? Or do we look at ourselves as being not so important? That's not what defines humility. Humility isn't how we see or think about ourselves. It's how we see or think about other people. When a person thinks humility is just about themselves, it accomplishes little because we're not alone in this life, and we're not alone in what we're doing. Rabbi Joseph Tulishkin wrote in his book, A Code of Jewish Ethics, that one Hasidic rabbi, Rabbi Michel of Zlotkov, taught that being humble is not a mitzvah, otherwise a person might think, now I am fulfilling the mitzvah of becoming humble. And would then believe 
that he was becoming humble, and that would be the worst vanity of all. Talking about humility is even more important today. Because our educational system, especially, doesn't seem to teach any value in humility, in being humble. Rabbi Jason Holtz has said this. In high schools and colleges, students get lessons on how to build a resume, how to sell themselves, and make themselves seem great and important. Starting at a very young age, people now get Facebook accounts. And the first thing it asks you to do is list all the things that you have accomplished and all the things that you have done. Your education, your career, your family. Some people share intimate details about their families. See, we're in election, in election season right now. And if you listen to most of the candidates, and you'll see that they quickly give their vision for society. He goes on to say, but it is hard for them to talk about other viewpoints except in disparaging terms. He concludes by saying, I strongly believe that the current lack of civility in public debate, at least partially, owes itself to a lack of humility on the part of individuals, as well as humility not being valued enough by society at large. Batya and I had this conversation yesterday about someone we know. It seems like every time this person introduces himself and talks about his background and what he's done, it's always about him. I did this. I started that. I'm doing this. But not realizing that he's part of a group of people, and it's supposed to be a group effort. But he highlights everything that he has done as part of that group outside of the group, but representing the group, if that makes any kind of sense. It shouldn't be about what we've done. It should be about what he's done and is doing through us. So today's Torah portion actually gives us a lesson on humility. Because we read about the laws for the kings. Now we don't have kings today in our society. But the lessons are just as important for us as they ever were. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 17, it says, When you come into the land that Adonai your God is giving you, possess it and dwell in it. And you say, I will set a king over me like all the nations around me. You will indeed set over yourselves a king whom Adonai your God chooses. One from among your brothers will be appointed as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he should not multiply horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to multiply horses because Adonai has said to you, you must never go back that way again. Nor should he multiply wives for himself so that his heart does, does not turn aside nor multiply much silver and gold for himself. 
in verses 18 and 19, it says, Now when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself a copy of the Torah scroll. I know that's not a scroll, but that's the way I carry the Torah. From what is before the Levitical Kohanim. It will remain with him and he will read in it all the days of his life in order to learn to fear Adonai his God and keep all the words of this Torah and these statutes. That's what our judges are supposed to do, you know. They're supposed to know the law. They're supposed to read the law. They're supposed to study the law books. But do you know in this country, to become a judge, you don't have to be a lawyer? Now, Many, if not most, of the judges are lawyers, but you don't have to be a lawyer to become a judge. And I think that's where the root of the problem is. Because they seek that high office without meeting certain qualifications here that would qualify them for that office. So, one of the laws, again, was the king should write a copy of the Torah for himself. And he should, care, he should read it every day. How does this relate to humility? Because the king can't only get caught up with himself in what he thinks, how he acts, the things he desires. He needs to be aware, be focused on, and responsible for something and someone other than himself. That seems to be the error today. The judges sit there with their robes on, and they think that they are the almighty of the entire courtroom. And no matter what anybody else says or does, whether it's according to the law or not, he's supreme. The kings weren't supposed to do that. The kings were supposed to exercise humility. The kings were supposed to follow God's law. He was, they were supposed to read it every day in, during their life so that he was firmly ensconced in the word so that he would know without a doubt what it is he's supposed to be doing and how he's supposed to be doing it. So by doing this, verse 20 says, Then his heart will not be exalted above his brothers, and he will not turn from the commandment to the right or to the left, so that he may prolong his days in his kingship, he and his sons in the midst of Israel. So the king by following Torah, by reading God's word each and every day of his life, by studying, he becomes responsible for treating his people with respect and justice and equally. Not raising someone up higher than anyone else. Remember what Moses said back in Deuteronomy chapter 1, the 16th and 17th verse? I commanded your judges at that time, saying, Hear cases between your brothers, and judge fairly between a man and his brother, or the outsider with him. You must not show partiality in judgment. You must hear the small and the great alike. Fear no man, for the judgment is God's. The judgment doesn't belong to the judge, or the king, or the kohanim. It must come from God. And God spells out in his word exactly what that justice is, what the right way is. Humility has been defined as 
the modest opinion or estimate of one's own importance, rank, status, etc. So, humility doesn't mean we look down on ourselves or think of ourselves as unimportant. Kings never forget that they are kings. They know that. Humility may have less to do with how we see ourselves than what we might think. C.S. Lewis said, True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. There's a difference. If you're the first thing on your mind all the time, then you're not being humble. You're thinking more of yourself instead of less of yourself. Abraham Lincoln said this, I have been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for that day. Because he knew it wasn't all about him. He knew it was all about God. What would God do? How would God react? That's our focus. From another of his books, uh, Jewish Literacy, Rabbi Telushkin tells this story. My grandfather, Nisan Telushkin, was a rabbi for over 60 years. He once told me about a certain wealthy man who had a high standing in the community and thus was entitled to sit in a prominent seat at the front of the synagogue. However, he insisted on sitting in the back where he would carefully watch all who entered to see if they noticed that he had chosen to sit in such a humble location. Finally, my grandfather said to him, it would be better if you sat up front and thought that you should be seated in the back rather than sit in the back and think the whole time you should be seated in the front. That's a deep thought. A lot of times that's the way people act and react. They think that by false humility of moving yourself back, it makes you look like you're more humble than just taking your position and being humble about it. So what was the mistake in that story that the wealthy man made? He thought humility was the way he treated himself instead of how he treated others. Humility doesn't mean that we don't place value on ourselves or that we shouldn't be proud of what we've accomplished. It doesn't mean that we think of other people as being better than we are either. Humility is how we look at and think about others. So what did Yeshua say was the second most important commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's a two-edged sword, so to speak, if you think about it. Loving your neighbor and loving yourself. If you don't love, appreciate, or have any value in yourself, then loving your neighbor as much as you love yourself becomes meaningless. 
and to some extent, impossible. Because if you do it on a balanced scale and you think about how much you love yourself, that's the only measure you can love others by. You can't do any more than what you love in yourself. That's why it's all about this time of year, introspection. We need to clean out the old and renew ourselves, be revitalized. Get ourselves back into a position where we can love ourselves so then we can love others. See, I think humility is more about how we think of and treat other people. Their value, their worth, the respect that they deserve. So, Some people may not have accomplished the same things or as much as we have. Money, education, social status. But everyone is entitled to a certain amount of dignity. In Pirkei Avot, the Ethics of the Fathers, the question is asked and answered. Who is wise? The one who learns from everyone. Everyone. Not just one particular point of view. Or one famous or popular teacher or author. Or even someone's own conclusions. Everyone. Humility is the ability to realize and recognize that everyone has something to contribute, something to teach, and their own perspective. Sometimes we shut that down. Somebody tries to give you their perspective on something, but because you have a different perspective, you don't even listen to them anymore because you've already judged them as not being willing or able to adapt to your way of thinking. So you don't listen to them. This week's Torah portion teaches that the kings of Israel were to acknowledge the value and respect of other people. That became their lesson in humility. We should all recognize the value, the worth, and the dignity of others. And if we do that, maybe we'll become humble as well. King Solomon understood this all too well. And because he did, he prayed to God for wisdom to discern right from wrong in judging Israel. And in humility, in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9, he prayed, So give your servant a mind, lev shomea, which literally means heart that hears of understanding to shafat, to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to shafat, to judge this great people of yours? He acknowledged that he was the king, but they were God's people. And he had to acknowledge the fact that he was not the supreme, the ultimate authority, but God was. Despite all the wisdom God gave to Solomon, His downfall is that he didn't pay attention to what the Torah said about having many wives. As we read earlier in Deuteronomy 17.17, nor should he multiply wives for himself so his heart does not turn aside nor multiply much silver or gold for himself. Forget about the wealth. He had so many wives 
and they were, they were wives that worshipped foreign gods. So ultimately, those foreign wives turned his heart away from the Lord to serve their gods. To make righteous judgments about people and situations that we face in life, we need to have a lev shomeah, a heart that hears from God. And we need to be willing to submit to his word. That's our guideline. That's our laws that we go by, that we are judged by. And we need to judge ourselves by the same laws. Justice and judgment are a recurring theme throughout this parasha of Shoftim. So as we draw closer to the Yamim Narayim, the days of awe, we need to remember the unselfish sacrifice that our Messiah made so that we could live and not die. As James says in chapter 2, verse 13, so speak and act as those who will be judged according to a Torah that gives freedom. For judgment is merciless to the one who does not show mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And we can all be thankful that Yeshua, in Yeshua, because of Yeshua, mercy does triumph over judgment. We should be eternally grateful that through Yeshua, through his death on the execution stake, we've escaped the judgment that we really deserved. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we thank you and we bless you. Because we know you love us. And you want us to live righteous before you. We love you, Lord. And we desire to do your will. Teach us how to be right before you so that we can love each other. That we can love ourselves because we love you. Let us show that love, Lord, always. Let us be seen as people who love you. Let us be seen as people that other people would want to love and want to know. Give us an appreciation for each other so that we can fulfill your will in this life for however long we have. Give us that revelation. Give us the strength to stand firmly and tell others who you are, what you've done, and what you can and will do for all mankind. Thank you, Lord, in Yeshua's name.